This is Surfing Through Cinema. I'm your host, Hawaii Harry. Today, I will be discussing the next film for Classic Hollywood Week. Although this film is from Germany, it has inspired many films here in America, especially during the Classical Hollywood era. Although initially a total disaster at the box office, over the years it's gained a lot of notoriety and has become one of the greatest science fiction films of all time. The film, of course, I'm talking about is Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Okay, so some technical details about Metropolis. So there are multiple versions of this movie, and this is due to significant cuts that various studios made of it when it was initially released. Um, when it came out, it was two and a half hours long, which back in 1927 was very, very long. Nowadays, that's pretty standard, between two hours and two and a half hours. But back then, that was too long. Many studios were worried because they wouldn't have enough time throughout the day to show this movie, so it was a total box office bomb. And on top of that, they made significant cuts to it. And for years, we only had an 84-minute version of it. You know, lots of it had been lost, over a quarter of it. And they weren't very important scenes necessarily, but they definitely helped the plot. And like I said, it was originally two and a half hours, so cutting that much out, it really makes the story suffer. And for years, nobody really paid attention to it. It wasn't until the 1970s that there were actual efforts to restore it completely. And as recent as 2010, there have been various, various efforts of putting it together completely. But just because of these cuts, we'll never have a complete version due to it being almost 100 years ago. You know, film, it deteriorates over time, it can combust. So, this new version, the 2010 one, is the best we're ever going to get, in my opinion. So, the next technical detail, this film came out in 1927. Now, there's another film that came out this year that had a significant impact on how movies are made, even now. That was The Jazz Singer, which was released only six months after Metropolis did. And ja the jazz singer, you know, has synchronized sounds, so lots of people went to see that. And so, majority of the silent films from that year were totally forgotten, totally ignored because of this feat. And so, you know, just to add a nail to the coffin on top of all the cuts and all the disliking of it, it came out the same year a sound movie did. And so... It had a lot going against it, and like I said, it was forgotten for 50 years. Another crazy technical detail is, nowadays, the movie would have cost about $200 million. So the budget was atrociously large, and it didn't even make half of that. It's, it's really tragic, honestly. Um... <clears throat> the whole production side of it, it definitely was not a success when it was initially released. And despite all the subsequent releases and all the popularity it has now, it's still not enough to <laughs> to justify such a large budget. And it totally bankrupted the company Ufa, the German Republic uh, film company that made it. They, <laughs> they were totally bankrupt. They, 
they didn't hardly make any money off of it. Alright, so now I'll get into the plot, and funny enough, um, this movie, like I said, has many versions. I'll be going with the 2010 version, because that's the most complete one, and that's the original storyline people saw in 1927. Most people, anyway. So, I'm going to stick to that. So, in the large city of Metropolis, Johan um, Friedersen, or he goes by Joe Friedersen in this movie, He's in charge of it, and his son Frieder, <clears throat> he's a young man who's very charismatic, flirts with a lot of women, but there's one he sees that catches his attention, and it's Maria, who is this kind of prophetess, if you will. She kind of helps the underground people who are below the city of Metropolis. She gives them hope about a savior coming and to saving them, and um, he's instantly attracted to her. He completely fascinated with how kind she is, how gentle she is. And so he starts to follow her down kind of like a rabbit hole, I guess, and uh, into the underbelly of the city where he sees all the co <clears throat> where he sees all the workers running all the machinery. There's hundreds of people working on machines, and he kind of has a hallucination of the machine eating up the people. And uh, he realizes, you know, the horrible conditions that um, his father is putting these people in. So yeah, he goes to his father and tells him about a beautiful woman he saw who is kind of like a savior. And uh, her name is Maria. <clears throat> and then the father, he goes and visits um, Rotwang, who is a scientist. And uh, he says, we need to get rid of this false idea of us being equal with the people below us. And so they devise a scheme to kidnap Maria and then Rotwang, he'll, who has designed a robot, um, <clears throat> he'll transfer the likeness of Maria to the robot. And then the robot will convince the people um, to, to turn against each other instead of a message of peace and unity. And so they do that. And, um, and the false Maria, she goes around spreading false rumors that the top is oppressive, that they need to take them over and kill them. And so they start destroying the machinery and it starts to flood the whole underbelly of the city. And, uh, and so all of the workers, they leave their stations, they go on top of the ground. But while this is happening, um, they left all their children behind. And luckily, Frieder, who just helped Maria, <clears throat> who just encountered the real Maria, who just escaped from... Um, Rotwang, they work together to help the kids escape from Metropolis, from the underbelly of the city, to get back to the surface. And uh, when they get to the surface, the the <clears throat> the people who work underground, they find Maria and realize the horror that they that the false Maria had put them through, and they start chasing her, thinking she's the real cause of all the turmoil and damage, when in reality it was the false Maria. And um, they chase her to a church, and then she goes inside. Well, she tries to go inside, but then she's getting chased by Rotwing. And then they find the false Maria, and they tie her up at the stake and start to burn her. But then they realize it's a robot, and they realize that, oh no, it was, we've been tricked. Like, this whole thing was a sham. 
And then they see on top that Maria is being chased by Rotwing. And then Freighter is up there. And he and Rotwing fight with each other. And uh, eventually, you know, Rotwing, he falls off the, the roof and he dies. And Freighter brings her down, brings Maria down to the bottom to talk with the people. And uh, he's reunited with his father, Joe. And they decide, okay, we need to be unified. And Maria says, um, kind of paraphrasing, that the mediator between the the head and the hands is the heart. And so Frieder is kind of a, a mediator and he grabs the hand of the, the underground worker leader and then the hand of his father and then he makes them shake hands and then that's where the film ends where both sides have now been united and they're not fighting with each other anymore. It's a pretty powerful message and pretty powerful ending. All right. Well, I'm going to go on a break real quick, but first, here's a message from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's how. It's totally free. There are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast from your computer and even your cell phone. But that's not all. Anchor distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a complete podcast all in one small place. So go on and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president. Go to Ballot Ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. From there, you could compare candidates based on stances on issues, biography, or endorsements. And then save your choices to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on election day. This election matters. Make sure you have a plan to vote. So go to BallotReady.org and enter your address to make a plan to vote and vote informed. Okay. So now that we're back from a break, I'm going to get into some critical reviews and my personal reviews on Metropolis. Okay, so it has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, making it one of the highest rated movies on there. And, and then the audience, it has a 92%. And of all the ratings, I only found four Rotten reviews on Metropolis from the critics. People adore this film. It's magnificent it's a triumph of a movie especially during the silent era it's insanity the the amount of effort and work they're able to put into it and that's a lot of the opinions of these critics is that it was a technical marvel and a masterpiece and but when it first came out this was not the case so i have a review here from the 1927 new york times they said, it's a technical marvel with a feet of clay. So they thought that the foundation of it, um, like the, <clears throat> and they felt that, you know, the special effects, the, all the scenery, the background, they thought that was fantastic, but that the actual dialogue and characters were pr pretty flat and that um, it didn't work out so well. And I'm sure these had a huge effect on why people didn't watch it because... A lot of people didn't get it when it first came out. 
<coughs> and funny story, H.G. Wells even talked about it and said that it was a very silly and dumb movie. And he didn't understand why, um, like, the whole message of it. It didn't make any sense. Even some of the advertisement I saw for it, it says something to the lines of, um, watch Metropolis, but don't try to understand it, because you won't. Like, it's a, it was a difficult movie for people to comprehend back then because of how different it was compared to most movies. Um, and then in Leonard Maltin's movie guide to a more modern review, he says, It's heavy going at times, but the startling set design and special effects command your attention. And I, and that's totally understandable. Like, the, the set pieces are giant. Um, <clears throat> there's a sequence where they see the original Tower of Babel, and there's thousands and thousands of extras that are running up this staircase and, like, moving these giant blocks and building this giant building. It looks so real. You just... It's mind-boggling that they're able to achieve something like that in 1927. So, he's totally right. Like, the special effects, the everything were fantastic. But funny enough, despite all the kind of negativity it had, um, it had a resurgence in the 70s and 80s where it became super popular again. Um, you know, George Lucas, he based C-3PO's design off of the robot... And if you look at the old Ralph McQuarrie designs of C-3PO, it looks exactly like the Maria robot. So, it definitely had a huge impact on the science fiction community. Um, like I said, the set pieces um, in Star Wars, you know, they had giant set pieces. The Death Star, the, um, you know, the Millennium Falcon, they, they based a lot of their techniques, a lot of the modeling, all of that based off of this movie. So it's had a major impact on on Star Wars in particular. <clears throat> so now I'll get into my personal reviews. It's in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I think this is a fantastic and amazing movie. You know, the just the sheer technical aspect of it is mind-blowing. I, I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't figure out how they were able to do so much of that in 1927. Well, earlier, it came out in 1927, but I think the craziest achievement was the actual city itself, the Tower of Babel that they have in it, with the uh, the streets going by and like the motion graphic cars. I saw a behind-the-scenes photo of it, and it was a huge thing. It was probably 10 or 15 feet tall, the building, and then they were moving the little cars little by little, you know, using stop motion. And then they transposed it with actual footage. So the way they were able to mesh them together is almost seamless. Like you actually believe that the cars are moving, that there's actual people on it. It's really impressive. Bridget Helm, who plays Maria and the false Maria, is the best actor in this whole movie. Um, the fact that she could play two characters that look exactly the same, right? Is, and they're both completely different. It's insane. Like, you can totally tell the difference between the real Maria and then the false Maria. The real one, she's kind, she's loving, you know, she's slow. And then the false Maria, she's like crazy. Her eyes are twitching. She's like 
moving quickly, very crazy-like. She's explosive, totally different. And it's the same actress. It's phenomenal how she was able to do that. Um, and without sound, might I add. Like, it was all in her expression. This is certainly one of the better examples of German Expressionism. Yeah, she definitely was the highlight of the whole movie. And then, I gotta say, the musical score in it is my favorite of all time. And what's tragic about it, the story of the music, is it wasn't until, I think, 2008, they were able to find the original sheet music. See, what happened with a lot of silent movies is they would write sheet music and then send it out to the theaters, then a live piano or a live orchestra, if it were a bigger theater, would play the sheet music. And, uh, but it was lost for so long, and the subse subsequent versions of it had totally radically different songs with it. In the 70s, there was some synth, reared, experimental music. In the 80s, they had, like, Freddie Mercury, Adam Ant, just to name a few, Billy Squire, they all made music for the 1984 cut of it. Um, which, personally, I think is the worst cut of it. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> the actual score is large, and it's like, it sounds like the future. Like, it feels, it's classical music, yet it's a lot bigger than the movie itself. So... Yeah, it really is my favorite musical score of all time. You could definitely tell that John Williams, the composer for Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, just to name a few, you could definitely tell when he was making Star Wars, he took some um, some elements from this movie. It's, it's a fantastic movie. I honestly don't understand people who don't like it. Well, that's not entirely true. I cannot, It's not for everyone, as most silent movies are pretty short, they're like an hour and a half, hour, 20 minutes, but this is two and a half hours. And for some people, that might be hard to get through with no dialogue. But for me personally, um, I was captivated. I, I, I enjoyed every scene of it. The fact that we even have it, this is a treasure. Like, to me, this is more than just the movie. Like, if you watch the behind the scenes of it on the Blu-ray disc, it's like a whole cult, it's a whole phenomenon. Like, it's a whole, um, it's a whole different thing on its own. So, by and large, I love this movie. This is a film I could recommend to every single person I know. I tried to, um, but not everyone gets around to watching it, and that's okay, but... Seriously though, if you want a master class in cinematography, set design, um, composition, this is a fantastic movie to study and to look into. Next time, I'll be discussing the next film for Star Wars Week. And this is the one that started it all, the original classic that got everybody to watch it. And I'm of course talking about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. What's funny is, I didn't plan on these two being right next to each other. So, it's going to be nice to see the inspiration for Star Wars, and then the the result of it. It's like, like I said, the design for C-3PO, seeing it, um, its inspiration, and then seeing it 
in the movie. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about episode four, A New Hope. And, uh, well, until next time, this has been Surfing Through Cinema with Hawaii Harry. Take care. Thank you for listening to Surfing Through Cinema. Make sure to check us out on Facebook at Surfing Through Cinema with Hawaii Harry and on Instagram with Surfing Through Cinema. We also have a website, www.anchor.fm forward slash Surfing Through Cinema, where you can learn more details on upcoming episodes and on past episodes.